Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On a hillside, in the heart of the forests of Ravensdale, County Louth, sits the home of one of the most significant Irish musicians of his generation. He's a true master of traditional music, and yet he's gone a long way towards pushing its boundaries to incorporate world music styles, creating a whole new musical voice in the process. Fiddler, teacher, violin maker, welcome to the home and workshop of Jerry O'Connor. Jerry, to say that you grew up steeped in music would be a complete understatement. Um, your your mother Rose was a legendary fiddler and, and collector of hundreds of, of tunes and a, a legendary teacher. Your father was a singer. We never thought about it growing up, but um, I suppose we played music without even thinking about it. Um, actually, my mother came to Dundalk and she stayed in her sister's house um, during her holidays coming home from England and she joined her brother-in-law's Cayley band and that was before she'd married, before she met her husband. So I was actually, I was her third child and she played in Cayley bands right into mid-50s onwards and she had to stop playing when I was, I think, uh, six months she was carrying me six months, and I, I think the bass drum was probably going through my head before I even came out. So my rhythm's pretty good. <laughs> but that's the sort of house it was. It was full of music. She, Her sisters all played music. They all played fiddle, and her brother played fiddle. Her parents, both her parents played fiddle. They were from County Meath. So when we were growing up, there were six sisters all playing fiddle, singing. My granny was alive, and she was a singer as well. Her song was Skibbereen. I remember her singing it, and she played concertina. Um... And my father was a singer, but his people were all musicians. There were seven brothers all played in a, a brass and reed band, a local band, the Emmett band. So, so I mean, we weren't sort of, we never thought it was anything that nobody else did. We all thought everybody had a sort of a life like this, playing tunes. And, but it, it, after a while you realise, no, it's not that common. But it, for us, we had a, then we were part of a community where there's lots of music. Um, uh, my mother knew Rory Kennedy, who was who'd set up the cultus and had a Cayley band going at the time. But there were very few junior members, so he came down to my mother at one point and she said that he really asked her to take a class of 30 fiddlers. And she said, oh, she says, I, I can't do that. She said, I have a young family myself. 
He said, will you, will you take maybe three or four, including two of mine? And she said, oh, God, I'll do that. You know, so she started teaching Eamon and Nuala Kennedy, and she was teaching us. And we were all a similar age. Brennan was learning, my eldest brother, Peter was learning. And so we were suddenly, by the age of, I know, gosh, we were playing in competitions back in, there must be, there must be 65, 66, because I know in 67, Brendan and I and Nuala were all part of the Cayley Band um, that won the All-Ireland under, under 18, and, and I must have been the age of nine. And then I was 12, I there was a session group, started in the dock where he was asked to form a, a cabaret show. And we had, like, some Mona Ruddy and Tony Ruddy, champion dancers, John Burns, champion accordion player. And, and it was all very light-hearted and good fun. Um, I played a duet with John Joe, uh, John Joe Gardner for a number of years, and John Joe was... Um, he was an old man when I met him. I was a teenager, a young teenager, and John Joe was in his 70s. John Joe had come from Sligo to Dundalk in 1929, but before he left Sligo, he played with uh, the likes of Michael Coleman and James Morrison, who became the, the the superstars of Irish music in America, the first recording artist in the 20s. So he knew them before they went to America, and we were just, John Joe was just a nice old man to play the fiddle. And, but, you know, looking back, we had a great depth of, of, of and richness of music that we didn't really, really we did, as kids, we didn't fully appreciate What's your earliest memory of the fiddle, per, per se? Um, I remember an evening like this, a summer's evening, in the front room of my house, my parents' house in Patrick Street in Dundalk. And I remember my mother fitting me out for a fiddle. It was like, you know, you, she put a fiddle under my chin and held me, and, oh, he's just not old, big enough for that fiddle yet. And I remember actually, because I first remember holding a fiddle and I started dancing around and my father said, it'll be a while before you can do that. <laughs> it was about 10 years. <laughs> but that's my first memory of it, because of him commenting on it, you know. And then we used to practice in the front room. And Did you ever seriously flirt with another instrument or were you always going to be a fiddle player? Oh, seriously, I was totally loyal to the fiddle. No, we all played the whistle and... Um, I mean, growing up, the fiddle was in the house, and my father taught us to whistle. I think he put the whistle in our hands, and by by chance, I don't know, I I played a whistle left-handed. I, I used to I used to play competitions at an early age. I was pretty good at the whistle, but I remember being one day somebody said at a competition, "Oh, he plays left-handed. He'll have difficulty going onto the flute," which would have been true because flutes were generally right-handed made. Right, I never. I think it was an excuse for me not to continue with the whistle. That was my opt-out clause. And uh, we all played a bit of guitar in the house, but we never had good guitars. I think that would have been intentional. The guitars always seemed, the strings seemed to be a mile off the fingerboard and cut the fingers off you. You mentioned Michael Coleman there and John Joe Gardner. Um, at what point did you feel like you were kind of developing your own style? Like that Sligo style had a big impact on you. Oh, it did, yeah. I mean, Sligo had a huge impact in the 60s on all music because the early recordings of traditional music, especially on the fiddle, came from Sligo. Uh, they're the ones, and they were the ones that people often said around the country when people got the, the Sligo musicians on, 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 on the disc, the old, the old 78 Chalactus, to put the fiddles away, you know. And it probably did happen to a degree. And also, when you think about it, um, you could actually you could have, you could have J- Michael Coleman in your room every night, you know, whereas a local fiddle player uh, might not feel like playing or might not be available, you know. So the whole thing changed. The recording had a huge impact on live music and the standard of live music. But in our case, I suppose we had John Joe, and John Joe didn't teach us now, but I did, I played with him, but he had been, he was a huge um, a model uh, coming to, you know, Dundalk didn't have the, those sort of musicians. Suddenly we had John Joe Gardner who played with Coleman. But uh, John Joe was like a figurehead and he was, you know, he was the one that people could identify with. 
Uh, the style thing only didn't kick in um, until later, I think. You know, the people became more aware of it. They were talking about the loss of the regional style and all this. Well, that's what you'd get when you just are focusing on, on half a dozen musicians because that's all that's been made available to you on the radio, maybe. In terms of a, of, of a career at anything else, was that ever considered at any point or were you, was it always just called to be music? I didn't consider music as a career at all. I mean, music was fun and it was pleasure. I, I want to get a job and nine to five and go out and play music because that's that's all I really knew I mean coming up growing up when I went to secondary school I mean it wasn't really you know you know popular to be playing trad music I mean there was nobody else in my street played I was very lucky that um, I, I, I was with good people we played in a pub called Mark's Bar and Mark's Bar was a, a great meeting point for musicians and singers from north and south we had the Dubliners were in there Tommy Makem had a house in, in Drumiskin at the time um, the Clancy Brothers were in and out, obviously. And I saw all this, but I saw there was a few big stars that would make a living, but it wasn't for most. I mean, I'd been around enough pubs to hear boys, oh, I went to Germany and I lost my shirt. And, you know, it was only later on when I saw the potential that was out there, but I still didn't think it was enough, you know, to make a living. And I was married young then. A friend of mine, he said, they're interviewing for a work study officers next week in Clark's. And he says, you put your name down for it. So I took that job on and I did that for a number of years and I moved from there to Tara Mines. The job was good and I was playing my music at weekends and Ed and I were travelling the country and busy and playing festivals and small stuff. But it was only, there was a big strike in Tara Mines for seven months in 82 and uh, I, went, I got an invite to go to France to join a band and recording contracts talked about and it was television. And I've been away in France for, for two months playing and I could see there was a potential in it. And so I went down to Cork to the jazz festival with a friend of mine, Paddy Turrell. And when I was down there, I started meeting up with some of the local musicians and I went around to a violin maker and found that he would just finished the course. And so um, I did a mandolin making course and that was my test piece to get into, into Cork to the violin making school. So that's, that's how I ended up getting into violin making away from industry. And well, we, it's, a, it's a good point at this, at this point to describe the room we're actually sitting in because we're actually sitting in Jerry's workshop um, here in the house and we're surrounded by um, curious looking um, tools which probably wouldn't be curious looking at all if I knew anything at all about woodworking but I don't but, uh, and fiddles and bows in various stages of disaggregation <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was burning to ask you actually and now is as good a time as any yeah. about about the violin making and and restoration everything how you got into that but you're answering yeah. that as we as we speak well, just back up a second yeah. um, and ask about um when you first met Etna Neolacon and when you started to play together and oh yes yeah Etna was and I were from the same town and it was it was uh, our family were the the Gaelic family this they were the Gaelic speaking family they were all into any times a kind of Gaelic meeting or grouping or whatever they would always be there and the other families the Gogans and there's a few Gaelic speaking families around the dock we were the musicians we were brought in to play the music for some of these events and I sort of knew Etna through various connections. But she went to college in Coleraine. I was working in Clark's. But she used to ring me up at Christmas time when she'd be home. And she was learning the music up in Coleraine. And she was a singer. So she used to come down to the dock and, and phone me and say, where's the sessions on? She wanted to develop herself. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd say well, there's sessions in Mark's Bar tonight or there's a session here. Tonight we end up in Drogheda and we end up leaving Drogheda and came up home and uh, we, we went up to see friends of hers in Bangor. We started going out on New Year's Day, 1997. And um, we found, you know... We were travelling around the country. We used to stay over in various places. And people say, well, what's the music like from your place? And we were playing different tunes. And as I said, the natural repertory was not that important to us. But then you begin to realise that, um, yeah, people want to hear tunes from your own area. She was into the language, obviously, and she was aware of the, of the, of the richness of the music in the area, of the, song, of the song tradition. And I had been in Mark's Bar in the 75... I started going in there, and I was given a copy of dance music from an old publication, the uh, Loud Archaeological Journal of 1909. I flicked through it a few times, and there was a lot of standard tunes, tunes I knew by title anyway. And I sort of put it aside, but then when we started looking at the local material and all that, um, I started going back over it and looking at tunes that we could um, maybe sort of focus and create a, a, a geographical identity at the time. Let them sing Gunreva. So then um, we did Cossack and Vroga and it was a long time coming out and so the next time we did it we said we'd just do our own and we, we cashed in a few bits and pieces to try and pay for it and we went to go Clada with it and they released it and as, as a licensed product and we, we I don't know what to call the band La Lu, that was her idea and Lou being the Kundalui, County Loud and, the, the, and Louis, Lou was the god of creativity so, and then law was was the day. So it was a day of Lou or the day of Loud, and it was really focusing on on our, on the, this area as as probably was, the music of Ori was brought to an international audience, I suppose, because we started touring then. We were in Denmark and Sweden, and so Lou was that was our first introduction to the commercial world. Then we got to the second album. We took out. We we probably started digging in deeper into local material, but experimenting with the, with the sounds and with the rhythms and with the with all going round it. Um, the Bridges Kiss album, uh, we, we launched on St Bridges Day, and uh, that album contained some of it in his own creations. And uh, that album was voted Album of the Year in 1996. From that uh, album, we, we toured heavily in Austria and Germany. We, we got signed then on the back of that Cinema Music Classical. Yeah. Like, when I was a teenager, like my dad would have had La Luke, um 
CDs and, and, and played them. And I, I always loved that they were, like I, I from reading sleeve notes and listening to the music, yeah. I felt like I was learning about loud music, really, yeah. maybe for the first time in some yeah. ways, you know. Yeah. Um, but like you had ethnic, you know, learning songs from Eddie Butcher and, and, yeah. and Lane, Lane Graham and everything, and you coming from a very uh, traditional background and, yeah. you know, um, playing with John Joe Gardner and kind of stuff. But, yeah. but the, the Lalug stuff then developed into this very, very adventurous, very different mm. kind of realm. Was there anyone in your life who was very kind of shocked by it and 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 didn't know why you were messing with all this strange music? Or, or? I, I think probably a lot of people raised their eyebrows a bit at it. But I suppose they saw that we could still play straight music. Like on the same album, my mother played a set of jigs with us. You know, and you know it, the album went from you know way of gemma music and screaming fiddles to uh, my mother and my children playing a track of the three generation jigs. You know, very straight. Donald playing piano, Shun playing the fiddle. Um, you know, Edna playing the flute, you know, and, and that was a sort of a statement as well that this music can go through generations, through families, and that, and not exclusively, but in our case, it, it did. So, with, with La Lug then and that whole setup, there was unfinished business there, I suppose, then in that Edna had uh, recorded, there were songs she had recorded before she passed away, and then yeah. that eventually came out a couple of years ago as the Bilingual album. Yeah. What was it like bringing that to fruition after? Uh, well, the loss of that was huge, you know, you know, personally wise and you know, uh, family wise, and you know, everything that we'd we'd we'd, we'd stri- striven for. And we got the kids up to a certain stage. Finian was five, and you think you're over the worst, and we get out of lives, and the depression just didn't let go. We had been in the studio just a couple. Of Days before she, you know, she she left us, and we were working on three albums. You know, we were getting quite not not music. We were getting musically ambitious. We weren't getting, you know, but we were just. She had a lot to say, and we were planning to bring out Etna's solo album because I had a few. I had the Skylarks and I, had different, I was doing different things. We were going to get a solo album, then a band album, and then my solo album. That was the order we were working. That was in our heads, and then with Etna's passing, that left everything in chaos musically as well as everything else and um, we let it sit for a long time and it was hard because I knew it was something she wanted done she'd written and left letters to me she just get the album out and so um, we came to an agreement with uh, Gwilin and they took it out on, on their on their um, label and they did great work on the production of the CD and the whole stories in the CD and it's it's a great legacy of, of Etna's work and it, it, it's 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 an extraordinary record, and and it's it's beautifully packaged. Um, can you tell us about playing for President Clinton? Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, Clinton came to Dundalk back in two thousand, and it was it was a very interesting because uh, we were there was two stages, one either side of the square, and we were both sort of facing north. Let's say Clinton was on the east side, we were on the west side. He was he was on his way. He was coming. He's going to keep playing, keep playing, and keep playing. He's not he's not ready yet. So, Turns out that he'd heard the music and he says, "Oh, I'll let them play for another while. It sounds good, you know." Speaking of Journeyman, Jerry, there's, there's a there, there's a tune on there uh, called the, 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 "The Chicken's Gone to Scotland." Um, tell us about that tune. Chicken's Gone to Scotland. This is one of the tunes from the dance music of Oriel, um, and it's an unusual title. Um, I I often joke about it to say, "Oh, the chicken's gone to Scotland. has gone to work for McDonald's." And I used to tell that for a good while, but uh, there was a lady said to me one day, she was talking about something, and uh, she said, oh, where's the chicken? And I said, no chickens around here. I said, what's the chicken? Oh, she said, chicken is the youngest child in the house. So I suppose you think about it, uh, the youngest child in the house, when it went to Scotland, that was, they were all emigrated, like, you know. So it's, um, it's one of the tunes that I recorded on The Journeyman. Um, and shall I play it for you now? Mm-hmm. 
Chickens gone to Scotland. thing a flower in loud yeah how significant is that it's fantastic i mean it's the last time i was at a flower on the east coast was in 1967 and it, it i think it'll, it'll create a big awareness for many people who don't know the, the scale of traditional music and the, uh, the, the way it has spread around the world and the depth of interest and the, and the fun involved in it you know jerry o'connor thank you so much for your time and for welcoming us into your your home and your and your workshop Thanks for inviting me to take part in this series. 
Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow & Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.